This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have another action-packed great show today. Everything from impeachment to the State of the Union to the rebuttal of uh, impeachment by the President of the United States to the recent developments, really late-breaking breaking news from Palestine on the, we're not going to say the deal of the century, we're going to say the steal of the century, and some other updates uh, from in and around the Arab world and the local Bay Area. So this is another edition of Arab Talk. We welcome all of our listeners here at KPOO 89.5 FM, as well as people who are watching us live on Facebook and Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani too. Okay, Jamal, I think you're excited to hear about this. Donald Trump has been vindicated for anything and everything wrong that he has ever done in the entirety, not just of his presidency, but the entirety of his life. So based on Donald Trump's press conference this morning, where he slammed the Democrats for being evil and corrupt, he called them evil and corrupt people, and he has felt self-vindicated that he did nothing wrong, that it was a perfect speech, and that the Senate, you know, the way he articulated it, has completely vindicated him of any wrongdoing. As some people have estimated, Jamal, in that alone, his uh, press conference this morning, he, some people have estimated at least maybe 30 to 35 mistruths, uh, outright lies, and misrepresentations of the truth. Yet it was a classic, typical Trump uh, press conference where he criticized everybody, including Mitt Romney, the only senator from the Republican side who had the audacity and courage to vote to indict Donald Trump and remove him from office. So we have a lot to cover, Jamal, because this press conference becomes a pivot point mm -hmm. for our understanding of larger political uh, context, what's happening in the Arab world, what's happening in Palestine. And I have to say also the debacle in Iowa, because what happened in Iowa with the Democratic Party was a complete debacle. It was a catastrophe for the Democrats that just, and I'm sorry to say this, Jamal, re-emboldened the Republicans, re-emboldened Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's popularity right now, Jamal, 49% favorable ratings. His highest popularity rating since he's been president. Um, this is a president who was just impeached, now has his highest ratings. And the last statistic I want to leave you with, over 60% of Americans believe that the future looks bright for them economically. I would say, Jamal, Donald Trump, after being impeached, is riding high. Well, all the niceties <laughs> are out the window. Completely gone. Uh, since the State of the Union, Jess. And now you are really, you know, uh, expanding on the uh, Republican, uh, basically optimistic vision for, right. for the elections. Right. And I hope that you are wrong. I hope so. But let's start. Uh, first, I think we should begin by the State of the Union because you talked about inaccuracies and things that were presented and the State of the Union itself. Yes. I want to kind of like talk about it before we go because, you know, he was a nice guy during the State of the Union. At least he put the pretense and then everything went out of the window this the second morning. day right. after uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tore a copy of uh, his, his, his State of the Union. So up till that moment, Donald Trump wanted to put a, an image or he wanted to reinvent himself, if you look at it. Well, without basically, I mean, let's start by the regular things that he kind of went on and on talking about, that he's the greatest president ever, ever that the United States had that President Obama was a terrible because he, he kept going back to the, the eight years of Obama, 
that he saved the economy. Well, he saved the American. He de- got the United States from decline. The archaic decline of America is over, according to Donald Trump. Yeah, and and that uh, the economy is doing great. People are getting rich. He's building the wall. <laughs> I'm just summarizing the key points. Right. And uh, he barely mentioned the deal of the century just by in passing, just mentioned it in a one-liner. Right. This should have been kind of highlighted since he's been bragging about it or he was bragging about it. And that America is is really... It was an optimistic speech. Uh, up, very, optimistic. very optimistic. It's doing speech. great. It's the best country. And we're just going to lead the world uh, on everything and anything, right? This is, this is the message. Another message that I saw, he was reaching out to the African-American community. Right. Because he knows that even if there is a change of uh, small per- percentage points, that he'll secure the nomination. I mean, he'll secure the presidency, basically, re-election right. in certain states. You know... So it was a very rosy and optimistic and that, uh, that lasted about eight hours. speech, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it actually was uh, stretched. He stretched the facts. Stretched. And distorted the facts in many aspects. And I want to go through a few of those distortions. One, Trump's claim the economy is the best, and I'm, co- I'm quoting here, it has been ever... But the GDP growth actually fell. I was reading some economic reports to 2.3% last year, and economists predict further slowing this year. There is slowing in the economy. So there is slowing. He said that he brought uh, about low unemployment by reversing years of economic decay, and that's the quote, and failed economic policies when, in fact, over 1 million more jobs were added in the 35 months before he took office then in the first 35 months since. So during Obama, things were much better, and, and he basically stated the opposite. Trump boasted that the unemployment rate for women reached the lowest level in almost 70 years. Right. That's true, but it had been trending down for several years before he took office. So he kind of like... Twisted it a little twisted bit. Twisted sure. it around. We give him license to twist. Then he also said that after decades of flat and falling uh, incomes, wages uh, wages are rising fast. They've gone up under Trump, but they've also have uh, risen under the last several presidents, not just under Trump. So he's just like shines the spotlight as usual on himself and then forgets to mention that he's building basically, you know, on what his predecessors Absolutely. Uh, have established. So another thing claiming that the people's 401ks and pensions are increased 60, 70, 80, 90, and 100 percent, even more. He was saying that and some may have, but, uh, but that's far higher than average. He also said the Real median household income is now the highest level ever recorded. That's not true. You know, based on adjusted figures, median household income was slightly higher in 1999 than in 2018. Right. And that was under Bill Clinton, by the way. He also claimed that the new trade agreement with Canada and Mexico would create nearly 100,000 auto jobs. That's not true. Uh, what about uh, manufacturing companies? He, he, that was uh, partic- I'm just going down the list. Oh. He also boasted that, uh, that the long, tall, and very powerful wall is being built. It's being blown over by the wind. <laughs> Along the southern border, <laughs> it's actually and more than 100 blown. miles have been completed, but only one mile is located where no barriers previously existed. So he's just like he annexing other older sections of the wall and claiming that he built those aside from the one that fell down, but they only completed one mile after three years of new wall, just people don't know that. So he's claiming they've completed. No, they've actually reinforced some of the old wall. Right. He said that illegal crossings at the southwest border are down 75% since May. 
uh, but total apprehensions in 2019 were 81% higher than in 2016, the year before Trump took office. Factories and manufacturing, uh, he, he claimed that after losing 60,000 factories under the previous two administrations, America has now gained 12,000 new factories yeah. under his administration. It's a complete misstatement. Another misstatement. He also, Trump compared apples to oranges in claiming a doubling of insurance premiums in five years before he took office and less expensive plans under his administration. Wow. Uh, he made an ironclad promise to always protect patients with pre-existing conditions, but that ignores the fact that he has supported Republican health plans that would reduce the current protections under the Affordable Care Act. Well, even, even more specifically, the Trump administration is in the middle of litigation that's going to make its way up to the Supreme Court that will dismantle the Affordable Care Act. And here is a funny thing that he said, actually, totally misleading. He claimed that under his administration, since he took office, the U.S. has become the worst top produ producer of oil and natural gas. But the U.S. has been the number one importer in the world. No, the number one for natural gas for more than a decade. Right. And tops in petroleum since 2013. That's right. But ironically, so, even with that, the U.S. still imports of oil. Of course it does. But I've said as far as production value, since 2013, the United States has been number one and more than a decade in natural gas. So he takes credit for previous administration. He also said 300,000 working age people left the workforce during Obama's eight years. Actually, the workforce grew by 5.4 million uh, during the Obama administration. These are just examples. Small examples. Small examples about everything that he boasted to have accomplished. It's either a total lie or a total exaggeration. If you look at the numbers, and I've been looking through different reports and fact, fact check people who have been fact checking, so I can't take the credit for myself because I've been like basically gathering these different uh, bits and pieces of information about what is the real results, these economic, because that's his number one thing. He, the number one thing, remember, the economy, stupid. We right. know that game. So the number one, aside from all the different the impeachment and different scandals and even uh, the Mexican, uh, U.S.-Mexican border, the number one that's going to be the most important factor the during the election, we know that the economy. So he's planting the seeds from now, saying that I'm the best president ever. We have the best economy. I've done it all. I'm better than everybody else. It's not true. It's not true, but I'm sorry to tell you this, Jamal, but it doesn't matter. And in fact, that, that's really what we're facing right now, that because we live in a post-reality, post-fact world, Trump can get up there and, and not only articulate misperceptions, miscalculations, lies, uh, all sorts of half-truths or myth-truths. We're in a place now in this country, Jamal, where, where the truth and reality do not matter anymore. And the reason for that is, is multiple. It starts with the Russian disinformation campaign that has been going on in this country for many years now. It goes from Trump's attack on the media and his attack on reality for many years since he's been in office and before. But now, we're headed into the home stretch eight months before the next election. And I'm telling you, facts are not going to matter to the electorate. The one thing that you did say that is the only thing that's really going to matter is how the economy does. Mm -hmm. That's the major thing for the Republicans. Trump can go up there and say the sky is green and uh, I'm a Martian. And it's not going to matter because the, re the truth and reality and facts and science do not matter. Um, so I think you're, you're right about one thing. Just three more things. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So just three more things that's not uh, related to the economy. Those are the ones, the yeah. basically the, uh, uh, you know, the untruth that he was basically. No, he's a pathological liar. Circulating. No, he's but a the three other liar. things that kind of uh, stood out for me, one, 
major attack on immigrants. Major. Uh, criminalizing, vilifying, using one or two isolated examples right. for crimes, the same usual stuff that were committed or perpetrated by an immigrant. Right. And saying this is how basically all you see all these uh, immigrants that come to this country, even though he keeps saying illegal, which is, you know, meaning undocumented. So, again, he went back on the vilification of immigrants and then radical Islam basically. Again, here we again, go. Vilifi the vilification of Muslims. So immigrants are bad. Muslims, Muslims are, are bad. bad. I mean, those are the two things. And then, and then last but not least, which should have been his coup de grace, is that talking about the deal of the century. Where is it? What happened to the deal of the century? You've he been making been us wait about, about the deal of the century for the past three years. And only one meager sentence saying, and oh, we've done the deal of the century without going into details, without saying that the Palestinians have rejected it. Without saying that there are no well, people supporting it with except few. No, it's even worse. The EU has rejected and it. And the EU has rejected it. The, the Arab, Arab League, League has, has rejected it. Everybody has rejected and, it. And it, it just was in passing because this was supposed to, aside, remember, going back to his promises, building the wall, well, we know it's a lie. He bragged about that. He built more than, uh, he built about a mile worth of that wall. Right. The economy, he exaggerated. He can claim, yeah, the economy, to some at least, to the wealthy, if looks you, good. If you have a lot of money. If you have a lot of money in the stock market. Then you're doing it okay. It looks good. If you have fat 401ks, it looks good. So he can twist the facts and saying, you know, everybody's working, uh, low unemployment, sure, if you're working uh, you know, getting yeah. paid the uh, the minimum wage, you're, not you're, you're unem unemployed, so he can claim that. So this he can kind of twist and twist and turn. But the wall, there are no results. So they, this is a complete lie. The other thing that he made promise that they were going to solve the riddle of the century, which is trying to find a way to bring Palestinians and Israelis to a closer peace agreement than ever, and it was totally rejected, yeah. that he didn't even brag about it. Well, Jamal, I, I think that's a very good analysis, but you're missing one point. You, you are still stuck in reality. You're, you're still stuck in, in, in believing in facts, and you're still stuck believing in evidence. And while all of your points are spot on, and we will, we will talk about the steel of the century a little bit later in the show today, I think the point that's really damaging for the larger political context right now is that Donald Trump could give a State of the Union uh, address devoid of facts and reality, and yet people loved it. The Republicans that were in the House at the time, in the chamber, there were over 100 standing ovations uh, for Donald Trump during the State of the Union. Uh, that's that, an act, Jeff. No, that's but, an act. Uh, exactly. I'm trying to tell you that... Uh, branding of the State of the Union, the marketing of the State of the Union, created the context for a massive positive response by his base. And when you have 49% of Americans in the midst of a pathological liar as the, you know, commander-in-chief of this country, having favorable views, um, when you have 60% of Americans believing that their economic situation will be better next year, I'm telling you that uh, we can come up with all the facts in the world that we want about how Donald Trump lies, dissembles, and doesn't and, and speaks half-truths. But what happened yesterday and what happened this morning and what happened in Iowa and what's happening in Jerusalem today in Palestine portends very poorly, not just for the Democrats, but for the entire world who believes that the presidency of Donald Trump is going to wreak havoc on world politics and world economy. I keep saying this, is that unless, we, we talked about this last week and I'm more worried about it this week, the Democrats are self-imploding. The Democrats, because of the disaster in Iowa, you had the Iowa caucuses, Jamal, and we are 48 hours past the Iowa caucuses and nobody has confidence in the results of the Iowa caucus results. Nobody does. And they're re-canvassing right now. 
Then Donald Trump comes this morning and completely thrashes everybody. Mitt Romney, uh, Nancy Pelosi, attacks everybody. So whatever civility he had uh, during the State of the Union is completely is completely gone. For the next eight months, this is, um, for the Republicans and Donald Trump, it's gang warfare. Attack, 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 and facts don't matter. I came away from what happened in the last 48 hours. I don't know how you feel about this. More convinced that he's going to be reelected rather than less. You've been saying this for I know. the past three years, Jess. I'm worried. Well, what was your feeling yeah. afterwards? Well, Did you feel afterwards that uh, he has greater or lesser chance? This was a huge win for him. I think this is uh, the Democrats to lose. 100%. Uh, I mean, and they are losing it. And uh, yeah, what happened in, in Iowa is is really bad. And it's really bad that in a way we have become the joke of of the world. The free because world. Because we send people to monitor elections across the globe. Jimmy Carter is part of the group, former President Jimmy Carter. Right. He used to go to Egypt and third world countries and other places to monitor elections. Well, guess what? We need we need international monitors now to come to this country because what happened in Iowa. Well, I think Al Sisi should come here and monitor. You our know, elections. I mean, I mean, I mean, this this is this is the sad the sad no, situation true. here that true. what we've been like. I, I was actually making a joke. Have we finished counting hanging chads? Because no. if we went through counting hanging chads, maybe we would have had a more accurate result than what was given. That we are now on the third day. Yeah, now they're saying that Bernie Sanders might have taken the lead, or at least he and Buttigieg are at uh, statistical tie. Statistical tie, right? But it shouldn't take long. We're talking about Iowa. We're not talking about a huge state. We're talking about Iowa. The results usually come within hours, not yeah. days. Right. And uh, and then to find out about this whole issue with this uh, app and who's involved with this app. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it seems they're trying again to throw Bernie Sanders under the bus. That's what it seems like. Because the whole idea of putting Iowa as the first, uh, getting the Iowa, the results first, that kind of gives you some momentum. It does. And so Bernie Sanders, if he wins today, or if even if he's tied that they split the delegates, the momentum, the sales that actually which is uh, very important because, remember, uh, you know, the Democratic Party machine wants to have Joe Biden as the leader. Well, they want anybody and, except and, Bernie Sanders. And he didn't come even second. He didn't come third. Fourth. His, his fourth. And so someone needs to, declare, to be declared as the winner, and they go to New Hampshire with a lot of momentum. Now they lost that momentum. Right. I don't know how how what kind of long term effect it will have, but if this is an example, if this is repeated in other places, by the time we end the primaries and we have the candidate that who is going to face Donald Trump, he's going to be beaten and he's going to be weakened. Absolutely. And so I think that's exactly right, Jamal. Here's the problem. Um, the Democratic establishment wants uh, Joe Biden. Um, you also have Mike Bloomberg, who's going to fragment. The fact that the Democratic elite want Biden is going to fragment the, the progressive party. Um, Bloomberg is going to fragment the the fragment and you know, uh, disempower the progressive element of the Democratic party. You have John Kerry yesterday, overheard saying that he may throw himself into the ring because he's afraid of what Bernie Sanders are doing. And, and Pete Buttigieg, who is uh, supposedly progressive, he's he not. was he was heard saying that be careful because Bernie Sanders might win the nomination. Imagine. So in other words, he's saying Bernie that Bernie Sanders is toxic to the Democrats. Like if if you don't vote for me, if you don't support me, He's going to be the nominee, right. which is really bad. <laughs> well, Why? Well, well because it's, it's, it's bad because Pete Buttigieg wants to claim to be progressive, yet at the same time, if you listen to his policies, is not progressive at all. 
Just because Pete Buttigieg happens to be a gay man doesn't mean his bona fides when it comes to progressive politics is automatically conferred upon him. He actually is not progressive on many things, on Palestine, on certain aspects of immigration reform, on many things he is not progressive by any stretch of the imagination. It looks bad, it smells bad, and it is bad for the Democrats 48 hours after the Iowa caucus. Joe Biden is a flawed candidate. And with what we see with uh, Bloomberg throwing his hat, his money into the ring, Tom Steyer throwing billions into the uh, ring, we're headed towards a, a, a brokered convention, Jamal, which means by the time we get to the convention for the Democrats, the, 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 um, we will not have selected a nominee from the Democratic Party. Well, that's why I think this debacle in Iowa was devastating, because unless a nominee or a leader, at least, that we start seeing a momentum going, let's say whether if it's Bernie Sanders, early on, then it's going to change, in my opinion, the attitude of, of the other candidates. Maybe, perhaps... Bloomberg will decide to step aside and use his, he's not his do wealth that. to support the he's, nominee. He's not going to do that. So if he's not going to do that, again, this is how we'll cannibalize basically the front runner. And that's why the front runner, by the time he reaches the finish line, he will be finished himself. Absolutely. He won't have the energy or the resources to face Donald Trump. Now I want to talk a little bit about the, the two big Bombs. Okay, before I you talk say. about the bombs, we have to do a station ID. You're listening to KPOO here in San Francisco at 89.5 FM. Uh, Arab Talk is broadcasting live from San Francisco here at KPOO Studios. We're also broadcasting on Facebook Live at J Jamal Dejani 2. Okay, two bombs. First bomb. Number one. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> tearing, tearing the her decision to tear up the a speech. copy of the Donald State of Trump's the, State, State of, of the Union. Yeah, that was... Of course, this that was, was, that was, in my rich. opinion, was instigated by the president turning his back when she extended her, her hand to, yeah, he to shake to his hand. Yeah, he shake her hand, he, right. He, he, and, and also that, I, I, I think that was a huge bomb. I mean, just this, this you know, and, and I'm just going to quote that uh, today from something she said this morning, that she said that she felt liberated as she lashed out at President Donald Trump for the falsehoods, she said, uh, he had spread in his State of the Union address, and she defended her decision to tear up uh, the speech. I tore up a manifesto of mistruths. This is what she said to reporters the, in, uh, earlier today. So okay. the other bomb is Mitt Romney. It's a huge bomb. Uh, I mean, I don't think, I mean, we used to hear about Mitt being dissatisfied with the president, but I don't think anyone expected that he'd be the only senator to stand up, to speak the truth, and say, we must convict. I guess you could say, Mitt wants to convict. If the Mitt fits, you must convict. <laughs> he can must I, convict. Can I just... And, and yeah. I think these two bombs, I woke up this morning trying to keep up with the tirade of tweets from President Trump going right. all over, attacking on one, you know, on one side, going after Nancy Pelosi, on the other one, tearing you know, through Can I, uh, the I wanna... character of uh, Mitt, Mitt Romney, Romney, that he's weak, he should have won the elections, but he's not intelligent and all kinds of crazy things. Okay, well, I think it's, in, I want to talk, uh, I want to take a few minutes and talk about Mitt Romney, because his, to know a little bit about Mitt Romney would be instructive. Mitt Romney's father, by the way, it's interesting, was in the cabinet of Richard Nixon, at the time and was one of the first people in Nixon's inner circle, Jamal, that confronted Nixon and said, listen, you got to resign before we remove you from office. 
And Mitt Romney's father made a similar kind of analysis in terms of morality, doing right in terms of, I mean, you know, the Romneys are very devout Mormons. Well, he said, my faith. He started with his faith. So uh, Mitt Romney's hero is his father, has always been. The second thing you ought to know about Mitt Romney is just that, is that his commitment to his faith in many ways supersedes everything else. When he was the when he was the nominee for the Republican Party for the presidency in 2011, the entire Republican establishment was celebrating Mitt Romney in terms of him being an ethical, moral, decent, good person. What have they done? Uh, for, you know, basically X number of uh, years later, they have vilified him. They've thrown him under the bus. They have um, Laura Ingram today and Don. Jr. said that he should be removed from the Republican well, Party. Well, Donna Ingram, I mean, uh, Laura, Laura Ingram, she wants to run against him. So I I, I'm saying that the, the, the Republicans have miscalculated about Mitt Romney. The other thing that our listeners should remember, when Donald Trump uh, invited Mitt Romney over after he, was, uh, after he won his presidency to talk to Mitt Romney, presumably about becoming Secretary of State, he invited, remember that? Yeah. He invited Mitt Romney to well, the breakfast. Well, he, he said he was begging for it. Well, he humiliated Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. And Mitt Romney never forgot the total humiliation that uh, he suffered at the hands of uh, Donald Trump. Whether or not you believe, uh, you, whatever you're feeling about Mitt Romney's faith, whatever you're feeling about his politics, uh, Anybody who looks at the only senator in the history of the United States to vote for the removal of a president from their own party, he's the only one in the history of our republic to do that. It was a courageous act. He basically said what the president did was a, was, was a terrible crime and that he came to the conclusion that he should, in fact, be removed. be removed. Now, what does that do politically for Trump? He can't say that it was a partisan witch hunt now yeah. because both Republicans and Democrats voted to have, uh, to have Donald Trump removed. So this whole big talking point about this being a partisan witch hunt goes completely by the way. Well, here is the spin. The spin now. He's not a real Republican. Exactly. That, that he is a wolf in sheep clothing. That's what they're saying. <laughs> He's a Republican, that, everybody. Uh, from Donald Trump to Donald Trump to Trump. Junior saying right. that he should leave the GOP because he's really a Democrat at heart. He shouldn't be there. He's not a Democrat. So they're trying to kind of distance themselves, even though historically all his life he's been pretty much a serious Republican, a serious conservative Republican. And so now they're trying to distance themselves uh, from him. This is what uh, President Trump uh, tweeted had failed presidential candidate Mitrani devoted the same energy and anger to defeating a faltering Barack Obama as he sanctimoniously does to me, he could have won the election. Read the transcripts. Unbelievable. This is, this is uh, and then uh, his son said that he should leave. He's not a real Republican. Um, I have breaking news for the Republican. Trumps. He's a real Republican. If you look at his voting record in the Senate, 99% of the time he votes with Donald Trump. He votes with Mitch McConnell. He has voted in favor of all the judicial nominees. This is a guy, I mean, I'm glad that he found his moral courage to convict Donald Trump uh, of this article of impeachment. But rest assured, uh, Mitt Romney is no sheep in wolf's clothing. He's no closeted Democrat. He is a true conservative. For crying out loud, he was the nominee for the Republicans in 2012. So I'm going to ask you this question again. It doesn't seem like you want to answer the question today, Jamal, which is after the Iowa debacle, after the State of the Union, and after the pathological rant and rave this morning of a press conference, well, Where? we didn't talk about that and the acquittal, the so-called acquittal. acquittal. We'll get to that. Do you think he's more – where is Donald Trump on his trajectory towards the presidency in 2020? I think it's more likely than not now. 
If you're if you're a betting person, if you're a 50-50, you know which way you're going to go. It's more likely than not, based on what happened in the last 48 hours, that he's going to get reelected. Well, I still say it's too early. <laughs> I still say it's too early. Okay. Because otherwise, what you're asking people to do is throw the towel. Just and, the opposite. Or raise the white flag just and the surrender. Opposite. No, I'm saying just because the opposite. You're saying he's a shoe in. No, I'm saying something else. I'm saying if people don't wake up, I'm saying if the Democrats who are trying to throw Bernie Sanders on a, under the bus don't wake up, that we are headed for another four years. Not only has the Democratic Party thrown Bernie under the bus, but you have Pete Buttigieg, as you rightly pointed out, throwing him under the bus. You had uh, Joe Biden calling Bernie Sanders these terrible words, a Democratic Socialist, under the bus. You have um, James Carville throwing Bernie Sanders under the bus. So what happens when you throw Bernie Sanders under the bus? He raised $25 million, the highest amount raised by any candidate on the Democratic side for the month of January. You, you, you're going to create the conditions for yet another catastrophe. So I, I'm not saying people should give up. I'm saying people need to, to, to rise up, not give up, and get involved in the process you know, if 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 you know who whomever you believe is is a good candidate, Republican, Democrat, or even independent, you know, do not fall asleep. And I would say to the Democrats, if you throw Bernie Sanders under the bus again, we're going to have Donald Trump for another four years. Full stop. Let a real democratic process unfold. If you don't have a real democratic process, you're shooting yourselves in the foot. Well, I think you're right, you know, because we've seen this before. We've seen what happened to Bernie Sanders 2016. And this is basically what led to the election, in my opinion, of Donald Trump. Absolutely. You know, this whole idea, not only throwing him under the bus, but also distancing the, yourself from him. Hillary Clinton did not want any of his grassroots movement to Which be part of Which was a huge mistake. Movement. And that's how, in those very few states, it made all the difference. Uh, so I think it's a hiccup. It's a bad one. It looks really bad. Real bad. What happened? But there is an opportunity going forward to change his attitude and unite behind the candidate who can actually beat... Donald Trump. Now, one more thing, okay. actually, I forgot to mention before we move on from the State of the Union, which I would say, of course, the deal of the century. The steal done, of the century. You know, wasn't it? But there was the surpi surprise of the century. What was the surprise? Surprise of the century, and I'm probably going to say only in America, which is not true, but this is, it reminds me of uh, the boxing promoter. Uh, King, remember? Yeah, Don King. Don King saying, only in America, and I'm going to say that, only in America that you have a bona fide racist, Jess, receiving... The Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor, the yes. highest civilian honor that right. this country can bestow on someone. Yeah, that was, a, that was really crazy. That what's was up crazy. with that? Oh, well, it's a, it, I'll tell you what's Do up with that. Do I have to go through a whole list of... Racist things that Rush Limbaugh said. That Rush Limbaugh said on no. the air. No, and you he, know, and a against against women. women, LGBTQ community, Muslims, Arab, brown. blacks, brown people, Mexicans, immigrants. Go down the list, and this guy. I mean, it, 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 really. I mean, this is an insult to this country to receive the highest medal bestowed on a civilian. Um, although I agree with everything you just said, Jamal, I'm afraid to tell you that, uh, I, and I'm sorry to say this, I'm saying all these things that I feel bad about, but I'm going to say it, Rush Limbaugh does represent what this country is about. Unfortunately, right now, this is what this country is about. I mean, I've lost all respect to this award. Now, if you tell me somebody is a recipient of the president, uh, I'm just like, whoa. What's the big deal? If Rush Limbaugh gets it, if Rush Limbaugh receives it, and actually in an unusual way, received it right, right, right there in front of everybody, in front of everyone, and and and, and in the same chamber, the same room where the impeachment happened, where right. Donald Trump's impeachment happened. Right. Well, you know, I mean, it's a joke. 
It's, yeah. it's like it's like a bad joke. Yes, unless you you take from it not only its political implications because it was a political move to do that, but I also think we have to face the very painful reality that this is what this country is about. Now, is it everybody in the United States? No. But the party that's in power right now, the president of the United States, the judiciary, uh, the full breadth and depth of the executive branch the uh, and the uh, judicial branch, as well as the Senate, this is exactly what this country is about. And it's tragic and it's horrifically uh, racist and misogynistic and anti-anything that's different from the traditional uh, white middle-class uh, view of this country. But that's where we're at right now. And that's why we're calling out like, okay, what are you all going to do about it? Are you going to sit on your hands? Or are you going to kind of fight for a real democratic process? I feel like we have to talk about the steel of the century, Jamal. I'm sorry. Okay, because last week when we talked about the steel of the century, we said, both of us, the Palestinians and the rest of the world will never, ever accept this so-called steel of the century. There's no way Palestinians will ever accept being subjugated. There's no way Palestinians will ever accept being oppressed. And there's no way Palestinians will ever accept being second-class citizens on their own indigenous land. Well, one week later, Jamal, where we are is that you see that in the West Bank, Jerusalem, and even in other parts of historic Palestine, you see Palestinians really rising up and kind of confronting this, this uh, basically colonial project under the label of a peace plan. The EU did reject it. The Arab League did reject it. Even some of Donald Trump's cronies have rejected it. Um, so where we're at is, the question for you is, do you think the Middle East is more stable and safer now since the steel of the century? Are Palestinians dancing in the streets? What are you hearing and what are you seeing from the ground in Palestine? Well, obviously, this was dead on arrival. I mean, before it was even released. I mean, how can you have an agreement between two parties when only one party has uh, his or her signature on that agreement. Right. And, and and like we said last week, this is a wedding without the bride, you know. <laughs> she wasn't is, even she invited. Was, she wasn't even invited to her own wedding. Yeah. And, and yet, uh, in a very arrogant, very arrogant way, uh, Jared Kushner has been lecturing for the past week Palestinians no, how really on Palestinians. how Palestinians are stupid for rejecting the for deal. rejecting the deal of the century how they'll never get an opportunity like this ever and quoting from Abba Iban which is basically a spin uh, Israeli Hasbara spin that Palestinians uh, never waste an opportunity to miss an opportunity so I give you nothing like again I give you nothing just and I'll say take it or leave it right and then you reject it oh you're then you're not smart enough to accept no this deal no just accept being uh, oppressed and accept being a third-class citizen and you know live with it that so so the fact of the matter the fact of the matter but we also have to look at things on the ground the things that's happening let's yeah, let's what's face happening? it this is not this is not donald trump's deal this is not jared kushner jared kushner i have to agree Netanyahu. for the, maybe for, for the very few times i've agreed with uh, mahmoud abbas calling him a boy which that's what he refers to him yeah he's a boy i i think i think he's the errand he's the errand boy for benjamin, for benjamin netanyahu absolutely Every single word, every single map, every single population transfer, this came from basically and through the instructions of Benjamin Netanyahu. That's why Benjamin Netanyahu was beaming. I mean, imagine you're coming to the White House, Jess, and you're bringing a deal, you're throwing away or you're tearing the Oslo agreement, because Israel has been playing games, especially with Benjamin Netanyahu, just building more settlements, violating every clause in that agreement and saying, oh, we want to talk about peace and we want to talk about two states when they had no intentions of whatsoever to do so. That's right. And then finally, you have president in the White House 
making your dreams basically into nightmares. Not into nightmares. He actually oh for the Palestinians for, for for the Palestinians, but for Benjamin Netanyahu, he fulfilled everything he dreamt, right. and and that's through Jared Kushner, who's his errand boy. And I mean, think about it. You have Jared Kushner. You have our ambassador in Jerusalem, Friedman, who supported settlements and settlers all these years. Jared Kushner and his family and his father, by the way, his father, who was a felon. Convicted felon. Convicted felon. Paid money to build settlements in Jerusalem. Right? Those are the the two key players. And the final player who left, right, there's the triad. Who's the third? The third one is... Uh, Friedman? No, no, no. Friedman is the ambassador. He recently uh, kind of moved aside. Oh. The representative to the Middle East. Just right. the name can't... Uh, right, right. He left. But, but also, uh, he's, he's one of Trump's lawyers, former lawyers. So he, so the, so this, this is the, the three of them were working with Be, closely with Benjamin Netanyahu. And Benjamin Netanyahu is saying to them, "I want this, I want that, etc." And then, never mind what the Palestinians want. I mean, it had nothing. There is no aspect in that deal that was generous. Nothing. Nothing. It's basically take all the land, reduce the 22% out of the 100% of historic Palestine. To less than 7. To, no, about 11%, with no sovereignty of whatsoever over no, air, land, no con- or sea. And no contiguity. No contiguity. They've created a map that they themselves did, didn't know how to draw it. Imagine, <laughs> you look at the map, Jess, it's a joke. Can you tell someone Swiss to cheese. draw the map of Palestine? Swiss cheese. No one can draw the map of their vision of Palestine, and yet there is that arrogance uh, that was presented by Jared Kushner. I mean, here is someone who is 100% biased, not 99% biased, not 50% biased, 100% biased, telling Palestinians to forget about their aspiration, about their nationhood, and Take so it on. or leave it. Take it or leave it. And that's why it was rejected. And it was rejected by the European Union. And that's why you saw President Trump didn't highlight it except in two words, saying, oh, we, we presented, we presented the deal of the century. He had nothing to say because he cannot take credit for it to say, we brought Palestinians and Israelis together. We have forged an agreement. We brought peace to the Middle East. It's nonsense. So, Jamal, uh, since that, a lot has happened on the ground in Palestine. Well, uh, I also read a lot into Mahmoud Abbas's speech. Yeah, tell me about even it. Even though I think it's 10 years late. I think it's 20 years too If late. not more. And 20. that's where I have my disagreement and I will have always my disagreement about this whole Oslo process. But we have, you know, what happened happened. And now we have to kind of make something, not, not take that, but you have to kind of correct that big mistakes, that big debacle, actually, that they've had in something called Oslo because it was basically built on very weak foundation. Right. And we didn't talk about, of course, the right of return and all these things that that Jared Kushner doesn't want to see any um, uh, refugees return. And said, let bygone be bygone. Right. That's what he said. So in Mahmoud Abbas, and this is a threat that I keep hearing. And hopefully they'll implement it. They said, okay, we're going to end the um, se- se- security coordination, which is really the most important. Because this is what the PA has been relegated to, is to provide secre- security to the uh, colonial Israeli colonial settlers in the West Bank. They have no other power except being just, you know, the local, the local police. So now, supposedly... Uh, the Palestinian Authority is not continuing the security uh, coordination, and we've been seeing some unrest. A Palestinian policeman has been killed uh, within the past 24 hours. His killing, by the way, was caught on video, Jess. Yeah, I saw the Israeli, that. Israeli occupation army went into the police station. The guy standing there minding his own, they shot him. Basically, they shot they him. They murdered him. They murdered him. There is, it's it's right there on video. He didn't he didn't uh, had a we- he didn't have a weapon. He didn't attack them. They just shot him, and so now we have an attack on Israeli recruits. Um, 
by a driver. There was a shooting in Jerusalem, uh, you know, close to the uh, entrance to the uh, Haram Sharif and Dome of the Rock uh, by actually a uh, someone from Haifa. And so this might be the beginning. What do you think? Well, look. Well, tomorrow's Friday, too. Is there something? I think there's some demonstrations. There might be some demonstration, but I, I think, in you know, and this is my opinion, I think Palestinians have to go to civil disobedience. I mean, if Israel wants to annex the land and they don't want to annex the people, which that's what they're doing, they're basically setting up apartheid, which we've been talking about, and people say, oh, don't use that A word. That's what the Zionists will attack you for. Okay, how dare you describe Israel as an apartheid state? Just go there. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's apartheid. It's, it's a duck. And it, it has been this way for the past five, more, even more, six years, clearly. They've been building, basically, the foundation of apartheid. But now, they're telling you, point blank, we're going to lock you up in bento stands. So what do you expect? I don't think the Palestinians have the resources to have to, get, uh, to, to go back into a m- military conflict. No, they don't. And even President Abbas said, that's it, we can't do it. So what do you have? What other option do you have? Do you sign that piece of paper and accept no. being a slave in your own country? No. Or do you go into civil disobedience? The only thing that they can go through is this, the civil disobedience. It's no longer about occupation. It's about civil rights. And they have zero civil rights. Or equal rights. And equal rights. So if this is the route that Israel wants to do, the Palestinians have to reject apartheid. Just like the people in South Africa rejected apartheid, that's what they have to do. I think that's right. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. Uh, you can follow us, by the way, on Twitter at Arab Talk. You can go to our website, which is ArabTalkRadio.com, and check out all of our podcasts. You can also go to uh, Jamal's, your Facebook, Jamal Dejani too and kind of keep track of everything that's going on with Arab Talk. That's right. Listen, thank you all for joining us again today. We will see you next week. See you next week. Mm